Have you guys noticed, maybe it's just me, that there's not that many Jehovah's Witness knocking on the door? My neighborhood has been a while. I mean, even before COVID, it kind of stopped a little bit. I remember years ago, I had started coming to Grace. I was a little familiar with my Bible, and it was a Saturday morning, and the doorbell rings. So I looked through the peeping hole, and I saw Jehovah's Witness, and I was like, yes. My youngest was young, and I remember telling my youngest, we're thinking this, saying, mijo, tráeme los guantes. We're going to get it on. Yeah. So sure enough, I took a deep breath, opened the door, ding, ding, round one. And so they started telling me, and, and really little jabs, right? And I was being nice to them as well, just jabbing, testing each other out. And then I said, look, you know what? I'm a Christian, and I know God's word fairly well. And then their demeanor changed. Oh, really? So then you worship a false god. I said, what are you talking about? You believe that Jesus is God? Well, of course I do. That's what the scripture says. Hello. When the Jehovah's Witness, I mean, Pharisees came up to Jesus and they said, Jesus says, before Abraham I am. What does that mean? When Jesus says, me and the Father are one, hello, what does that mean? Yeah, so why does Jesus pray to the Father? And I started explaining to them and I said, you know what? Let's cut to the chase. How many houses do you have to knock before you can get to heaven? Because I am saved by grace and I know where I'm going. Where are you going? Are you going to make it there? Are you going to be one of the 144,000? Because if that's, you're going to be one of those, it's going to be kind of hard to get there because there's millions of Jehovah's Witness. And they answered. And after a while of just hitting it, I was bloody. They were bloody. And I said, you know what, I'm going to get my pastor, you bring your pastor, whatever you call him. We're going to meet here Thursday at 5 o'clock before the sun goes down. Let's get it on, on, boom, close the door. <sighs> and I remember this clearly. My wife says, who was that? What happened? And my youngest Ethan's response like this, I don't know, mama, but dada was getting into a fight. <laughs> and don't we do that? First Peter is very clear that we are to defend our hope that lies in us. Jesus Christ, the truth, we are called to defend, be prepared to defend. But we miss the last part of that verse in respect, in patience, in love. If you're like me, when you are questioned about your faith, you just put on the gloves and you want to hit it, right? Let's remember we need to do with patience, respect, and love. That's one of the things that I believe, if you're like me, we struggle with that. You know what the other thing is? Is that we're not prepared. We don't know God's word well enough. Let's be honest. And I'm going to say this about Jehovah's Witness. They know the word. They can quote you scripture. Their doctrine is off. Their interpretation is off. But they know the word. I mention Jehovah's Witness, not to put them down. Please don't send me emails. I mention that because the verses we're going to go over this morning, Jehovah's Witness will use that to say, you know what? Jesus is not God. A great being created, but not God. He's a perfect and great example for us to follow, but not God. So if you got your Bibles with you, which I hope that you guys brought your Bibles with you. If you don't bring your Bibles, make it a custom. Bring them here. We're Grace Bible Church and everything we do is here in the Bible. We preach it. We teach it. Anything but the Bible. Anything else we are not going to say. So if you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and open them to Colossians. We're still in the series. Chapter 1. And we're going to cover verses 15 through 23 this morning. 
Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. Let me give you a little uh, context, put us up to speed where we're at in this series. Colossians was written about 62 AD by the Apostle Paul. He was being imprisoned. He was imprisoned in Rome, and he wrote several letters, several epistles, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. And Colossians was a, a brand new church that was established, that was planted by one of the disciples of Paul, Epaphras. And Paul had heard about the great things that this young early church was doing. They were growing in love and faith and in hope. But he also realized that there were some false teachers creeping into the church. Gnosticism. See, these false teachers were coming and saying, you know what? There's something more that you guys don't know about. There's more mystery to God. You've got to become more mysterious. You've got to know about the universe and the stars. You've got to sometimes go through angelic beings to be able to be able to be on the same or even the presence of God. And the main theme of this letter that Paul wrote is that no, Jesus is supreme and Jesus is sufficient. That's it. He is all above all. And that's the message we're going to flesh out this morning because in these verses we're going to see that Paul is really going to emphasize that point. I believe that the whole theme of the letter is emphasized in these verses we're going to capture today. Colossians 1, 15 through 23. Now, if you have your Bibles with you, I want to handle this a little different this morning. I want you to underline. I want you to circle. I want you to highlight words that are so important. And this is why. When you're doing an inductive Bible study, when you open God's Word and you really want to find out God's truth and not misinterpret, you need to, listen to me, church, you need to at least do these three things. First of all, you need to have observation. It's so important. What is the context? When did Paul or whoever wrote this letter, what is the purpose? What is the genre? What are, what are the words? Do a word study. You need to. What does the Bible say about this whole doctrine that you're about to study or interpret? Observations are Clue, huge context. I remember my professor in seminary would always say this. The answer, the right answer to any questions are these two things. Jesus and context. That's it. It's so important. After you do observations, then you can do interpretations. If you have bad observations, trust me, you will have bad interpretations. And hear me, church. Don't ever get a doctrine from one verse. Never, ever, ever. There's a lot of even Christian churches that do doctrines or interpretation based on one verse. Again, you have to see what all of God's words have to say about a particular thing. The paragraph before, the paragraph after, the whole letter, the whole book. Because scripture never, ever contradicts itself. Observations. Interpretation. One interpretation, by the way. All the time I hear, well, what the Bible means to you, it means different to me. No, 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 no. One interpretation. The Holy Spirit inspired men to write this for one specific interpretation. After that, applications. Plenty of applications because God's word is alive and it applies to people a thousand years ago. It applies to people a thousand years to come and applies to us now. Several applications. It might, whenever you read God's word, doesn't, doesn't next time that you read it something different comes out like, oh, wow. It applies differently. 
observations, interpretations, application. Interpretation, sorry, application. I'm going to go really fast, guys, so bear with me. Underline, circle, all that you have to do. I'm going to tell you what you're going to underline, what you're going to circle, just to help us move through the sermon a little quicker. Verses 15 through 20, the verses we're going to cover today, the first five verses, just a little context. A lot of people believe that this was a hymn that was sung in the early churches. We're going to see that. There's stanzas. There's poetic. There's a lot of poet, poesy in this. Now, we don't know if Paul wrote this hymn or he just grabbed it and put it into these first five verses in uh, verses 15 through 20. We don't know. But again, here is the big picture. This is what we're going to emphasize today. Remember, the whole letter, the theme of it is that God is sufficient and God is supreme. We're going to narrow it down a little bit and we're going to observe in these verses that God is supreme in creation. Here's my sermon point to you guys. Supreme in creation and hear this, sufficient, sufficient for salvation. Jesus Christ is supreme in creation and sufficient for our salvation. And Paul, what he's going to do in these verses, he's going to... He's going to argue by having four main points to really prove his point why Jesus is supreme and sufficient. So if you have your Bible with you, do this for me. We're going to cover four main things. On the margin, on the side of your Bible, between verses 15 and 16, do a little bracket, maybe a little parentheses, and you're going to put it on the side, creator. Jesus is creator and Paul's going to show us why he's creator in these two verses. In verses 17 and 18a... Do the same thing, a little bracket and put that he is sustainer. Jesus is creator, Jesus is sustainer. And then in verses 18b and 20, side margin put, he is peacemaker. And last, as we're going to see, verses 21 through 23, Jesus is reconciler. All right. Let's go back and do some observations. First of all. Why? Why is he creator? Verses 15 and 16, he is creator. And Paul opens up in verse 15 by saying this. He, talking about Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Underline these two key uh, phrases, the image and underline firstborn of all creation. Let's do some observations before we get some good interpretation, okay? Two things Paul mentions right off the bat of whom Jesus is. The first thing he says that he is the image of the invisible God. And then he says that he is the firstborn in all creation. Now that word image in Greek, what, what it really just, it means and it tries to, to show us clearly is that Jesus is perfect, a perfect representation and manifestation is what he's saying. Jesus is a perfect representation and manifestation of God. As a matter of fact, in the Gospel of John, we see this. Jesus says this in John 14, 9, he says, Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. And that's what Paul is saying. Jesus is God. The author of Hebrews puts it this way. He says these, this in Hebrews 1 verse 3. He, talking about Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact, exact imprint of his nature. 
That's what Paul is emphasizing right off the bat. He is the image of the invisible God. Jesus is God. Interpretation and where we get our doctrine, the deity of Christ, that Jesus is fully man, yet fully God. That's what he's stating. That's what he's saying. That's what Paul is emphasizing. The deity of Christ. And that's why when we read in the Gospels, we read being fully man, Jesus cried, he wept, he was hungry, he was tired. That's the, the human nature of Christ. But we also read in the Gospel that he said, rise, Lazarus, and dead rose, dead people rose to become alive. That's why we read in the Gospel, and he says, let the seas be calm, and the seas were calm. That's why he made the blind see the lame walk. Because Jesus, fully man, yet fully God. The second thing that Paul states, that he is the firstborn. But before we get there, I want to again emphasize, because scripture never contradicts itself. This is really black and white, the deity of Christ, that Jesus is God. In John 1, verse 1, I think a lot of us are familiar with these verses. John writes this, in the beginning was the word. Now that word, word, in Greek is pronounced logos. And logos, really that word encaptures Jesus is the whole word. Jesus is logos. So what Paul is saying, in the beginning was Jesus the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Can we get any more clear than that? He, talking about Jesus, Logos, was in the beginning with God. Later he writes in verse 14, and the word, the Logos, became flesh. And dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glorious of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Emmanuel, God with us. And then, like I said, he says that he is the firstborn of all creation. And this is where the Jehovah's Witnesses say, you see, firstborn. If he, Jesus is God, how can he be created? How can he be, be born? And let me just say this. The Greek interpretation of that word firstborn, and I hope I pronounce it right, it's prototokos. And what does it mean? It means to be preeminent. It means to be existing before. It means to be surpassing all others. It is a word used in ranking. Paul is saying that Jesus is numero uno, above all. And then besides that, if we keep on reading, never interpret only uh, a doctrine from a verse. If we keep reading in verse 16, right after saying that, look what Paul says. For by him all things were created. Verse 16. He's saying that by Jesus all things were created. Now think about this. This is just logical. If Jesus was created, how can he be the creator? And what does Paul say? By him all things were created. Verse 16. For by him... Circle by him if you got your Bibles. All things were created. Underline all things were created. In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. See that repetition again? Underline all things were created. Circle through him and then circle for him. What is Paul saying here? All of creation was made by him, through him, and for him. Jesus, again, he is supreme in creation. Now Paul mentions 
He created heaven, all things on heaven and earth, visible and invisible, thrones or dominions. He mentioned this because we're going to see in chapter 2 that they started, like I mentioned, uh, the people in Colossians started worshiping angels. And Paul says, wait, 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 wait. Jesus created the angels. He is supreme over them, everything in heaven and everything on earth. He is preeminent. That's why he emphasizes that. John mentions in John chapter 1 verse 3, the same thing. He says this, all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. So Jesus is creator. We're going to see also that Jesus, he, he is sustainer. Verses 17 and 18 goes on. Paul says, and he is before all things, being preeminent. And in him all things hold together. Circle that. All things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. Circle, head of the body, the church. That who Jesus is. Two things that Paul is clearly telling us. Jesus is the sustainer of everything. He holds the universe in his hands. He controls every single thing of the universe, including your circumstances, bad or good. He controls it all. Again, the, the author of Hebrews in verse 1 or chapter 1, verse 3, he says this. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. Picture that. I, I, I can't even imagine all the galaxies, all the stars, the sun and the moon, and Jesus is holding it. He's sustainer of all things. But he also says that Jesus is a sustainer, the head of the church. He sustains the church. He is the head. And let me make this very, very clear, church. The head of the church, any church, especially Grace Bible Church, is not the pastor. It's Jesus Christ. The head of any Christian church should be Jesus Christ. Not the priest. Not the pope. Jesus Christ and only him. He sustains the church. He is the head. And without him, just like a body without a head, we can't do anything. He is a sustainer, not only of the universe, he is a sustainer of the church. And Paul writes this in Ephesians 1, 22 to 23. He says, and he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. Which is his body, the fullness of him who feels all in all. Jesus is creator. He is sustainer. But he's also peacemaker. Verse 18, he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. What Paul is saying here is the first to rise with an immortal body. He is the firstborn from the dead. That in everything he might be preeminent. He is number one in everything. His resurrection proved that Jesus conquered death. Verse 19, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Again, you see the deity of Christ. Verse 19, for in him, circle that, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him, circle through him, to reconcile to himself, circle to himself, all things. Underline all things. Again, whether on heaven, earth or in heaven, making peace. Underline peace. By the blood of the cross. You see this repetition. You see this poetic style that Paul is writing in. 
Because he says, for in him, through him, to him, all things will reconcile the same way we saw a little while ago. That by him, through him, and for him, all things were created. Now why, why does he say that he made peace with all things? See, since the very beginning, we see that Genesis 3, when sin entered into this world, the whole of creation has been tainted by sin. See, you and I, by our sinful nature, will go against God. We are hostile to God. Those of us that have not put their trust in Jesus Christ have the wrath of God on us. The moment that anybody puts their trust in Jesus Christ that truly believes in their heart that he suffered at the cross and he rose again on the third day, that we believe that that took care of our sins, the wrath is no longer on us. It was placed on the cross. There's two types of people in this world. There are forgiven sinners and there are unforgiven sinners. Those of us that have trusted Jesus Christ, we have peace. Not only do we have the peace of God, we have peace with God. Those that have not trusted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior will one day feel the wrath, total separation from him. Because they do not have the peace of God. And Paul is saying through the cross, through the cross we have peace with him. Jesus Christ is creator, he is sustainer, he is peacemaker. Verses 21 and 22, he is reconciler. He goes on in verse 21, it says, and you. Now notice this, the first 20 verses, Paul is just talking about who Christ is, all about Christ. And now he turns and gets personal, he's talking, and you. And you who once were, past tense, alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. He, talking about Jesus, has now present tense. We were once an old creation. Behold, we are born again. Has reconciled, underline reconciled, in his body, circle in his body, of flesh, by his death, circle by his death, in order to present, circle that, in order to present you. I would highlight you and underline you, put little arrows, whatever. You is so important. Now, for the next three or the last part of this verse, put a number one after holy. Put a number two before, I'm sorry, blameless. And put a number three above reproach before him. Notice again, Paul is saying in his body, by his death. But not only, now, not only that, he mentions three specific things that any of us who trust Jesus Christ are now in him. By his death, we are holy. What does that mean? We are set apart. We are blameless. What does that mean? We are without blemish. And I love this, above reproach. What does it mean that you and I or anybody who trusts Jesus Christ cannot be accused of any wrong? Wow. By him, through him, we're able to come with these things, characteristics. Man, that's good news. Here is what I want us to picture. How many of you guys remember the O.J. Simpson trial? I'm going to date you now. I think if you were like me, all of us or, or most of us believe that O.J. was guilty. Guilty was so much evidence. But the moment the judge said not guilty, he could no longer be tried for those criminal acts. In the same fashion, picture this. The book of Romans is so clear in this. 
Paul says, the moment we trust Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior, we're still sinners. But at that moment, God says, not guilty. You're justified. I picture that God looks down at me and you and anybody who puts their trust in Jesus Christ. And it doesn't see the sinful people we are. He sees the blood of Jesus Christ that ultimately covered all our sins. And that's why he can see us as holy. That's why he can see us as blameless and above reproach. Not because of our deeds. All because of him, through him, by him. That's what we're seeing. Paul goes on in verse 21, he says this, And you, again, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy, blameless, and above reproach before him. Verse 23, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, underline this, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, so important, not shifting from the gospel of the hope that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. One quick but very important observation. Paul is not saying if you don't follow Christ, if you, if you lose your faith, you're going to lose your salvation. That's not what Paul is saying. Again, look what all of Scripture says about salvation. Once saved, always saved. What Paul is saying here is if indeed... If you truly call yourself a new creation, if you truly call yourself saved, then don't go away from the gospel. Don't add anything else to the truth. That's what he's saying. Keep your faith and hope and your eyes upon Jesus. So what? Great. I went really fast through all these observation and interpretation, doctrine. What is the application? Let's recap. Paul is saying... Jesus is creator, he is sustainer, he is peacemaker, he is reconciler. Or Paul says clearly in all these things only Christ is sufficient because only Christ is supreme. Let me close with two applications that I hope we can gather from what we just read. It's not about you. It's not about me. See, we tend to live our lives thinking it's all about the created. It's not about the created. It's about the creator. In Genesis, when God created all things on the seventh day, he, he chilled. And he said, this is good. It's done. But then sin entered this world. That's the first thing we need to remember. It's not about us. It's all about him. We were made to glorify him and him alone. What's the second thing I want us to leave here in our hearts? That it's not about the reconciled. It's about the reconciler. You and I, nothing to do with our salvation. There's nothing. It's all about him by his grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Read in the gospel. Now get this. God created all things and he said, it's done. It's good. And then sin entered. And in the gospel, Jesus hung on the cross. And what was the last, one of the last things he said? It's done. It's done. I reconciled all of creation for you. But you know what really excites me? That it's not over. You go forward in this awesome book, Revelation 21. We read as John is showing this vision. 
And he sees the new Jerusalem coming down to earth. The new heavens and the new earth are being established. And this is what you read. Don't miss this. You hear the lamb. He is saying, it is done. Creator, we messed it up. He reconciled through the cross. But he's bringing all things back to new. He says, it is done in Revelation 21. And right after that, you hear, I am the Alpha and the Omega. Mic drop. Woo. He is a sustainer. So church, let us, let us always fix our eyes on Jesus and nothing else. And always remember that he is supreme in creation and sufficient for salvation. Will you pray with me? Father, we do give you thanks and praise for who you are and continue to be. And Father, forgive us. Forgive us for straying away from all other things but your son Jesus Christ. Our circumstances, our difficulties, possessions of this world. We focus on them and not on your son. Father, I pray that you transform us the Holy Spirit, remembering these truths that we just read, remembering all truths every time we open up your book, that your Son is supreme. It's by Him, for Him, and through Him that we live our lives. And Father, I pray that if anybody has not trusted your Son as their Lord and Savior, that they surrender to you. If they're tired of just trying to reconcile themselves to a holy and perfect God, would you show them that it's impossible without your son, Jesus Christ. Speak to their hearts and let, her, let them see that it's only by him, through him, and for him that they come to you. We love you, Father. We say all these things in the name above all names, your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. I love you, church. Have a blessed week. Thank you, guys.